That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. Thanks for hanging out with The Takeout. However you find this show, great radio stations across our country, Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124, of course, CBS News Streaming, and all of our beloved early adopters on every podcast platform. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for vibing with us. Al Franken is our guest this week. He's been on the show before. When he was, he was a senator. Now he is on tour, and I want to give you the title of the tour in case you want to get tickets. The only former senator currently on tour, tour. So Al Franken is former U.S. senator currently on tour. Former tour. U.S. senator currently on tour, tour. I guess as they're probably so some state senators. Know. Yeah, so far as, as, far we, as know. we know. Yeah. And Al's coming to us from New York City. Al, it's good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Major. Great to be here. So I want to get to the tour in a second, but the title says only former senator, U.S. senator currently US on senator. tour. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Should, yeah. Should should you be a former U.S. senator? Uh, no, <laughs> I should be a senator. But um, it, it what happened was just uh, something very odd at a certain moment. Uh, and, um, you know, I've had nine of my uh, former colleagues apologize to me publicly mm-hmm. uh, for uh, not I, all I wanted was due process, um, and uh, they came to recognize that. And um, I've had a few apologize to me, not publicly. I, the, I haven't forgiven them. I've forgiven the one I've done it publicly. But no, I, I should. I, I believe I should still be there. I and I believe if I got in due process, I would. You believe if there had been due process, and for our audience's benefit, that means. An ethics committee review. Yeah. If there had been an ethics committee review, what do you think would have been disclosed? Well, um, I, I, I would just point people to uh, the only uh, investigative article that was done. And this is bun- done by Jane Mayer in The New Yorker. And I think that, uh, for example, one of the uh, one of my former colleagues who apologizes, Dick Durbin, he read the article and immediately after reading the article, went down to the Capitol uh, and found the first Washington Post reporter and went on record apologizing. And so I think, I, I, you know, it. I, I don't want to go through mm-hmm. each and every one of these, but I think if people go to uh, the New Yorker article, uh, they'll get some sense of, of what this was. Right. And yet 
in the New Yorker article, and I think in your expression since then, you still believe there was something you had to apologize for. You just don't believe the appropriate sanction was to force you into a resignation from your position in the United States Senate. Well, understand what I've said is that uh, I've taken pictures with thousands of people and I never was never ever my intention uh, to make anybody ever feel uncomfortable when when this hit me, I am 66 years old. No one had ever <laughs> made an allegation of, of any of this sort. And uh, so what I said is if I may, if I did something to make someone feel uncomfortable, I apologize for that. And then that, that's sincere. But um, I uh, that that is. I, and I meant that. And, you know, when you take pictures, I, I talk to a lot of my friends in show business. When we when people take pictures with you, they they, they want to look as intimate as possible. You know, they, they really. And um, I was just talking to David Axelrod the other day, mm-hmm. and he said that remember he was saying he took a picture with a woman who later became ambassador to something with, with uh, she was taking a picture with President Obama. And right at the time they took the picture, she kissed him on the lips. And uh, Axelrod just said, Reggie, get rid of that picture. (laughs) And right. And uh, so. And for the audience's benefit, Reggie is Reggie Love, body man to President Obama, who I got to know very well during the 2007-2008 campaign. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk, I want to switch subjects a little bit. But one last thing on this. Do you believe in our current political environment, due process is even possible? I think it's more possible now. Um, remember, that was, that, that, there's a reason for that timing. It was right sure. after Harvey Weinstein. And so. And Roy Moore and the Senate race. And the Roy all Moore of these and the things, Senate race. Everything came. And Democrats didn't want to look as if they were excusing you while prosecuting in a very political, rhetorical way, Roy Moore. Yep. All of, the, all of those things combined. Yep. Exactly. Thanks for remembering. <laughs> it's 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 we're, we're we're just dancing down memory lane now but here's here's a broader question here's a broader question because you're on tour the only former u.s senator currently on tour tour i looked at some of the dates there are many college towns there bill maher did a thing on his show recently it's a running bit but he had a little bit of more editorial bite in it this most recent time explaining jokes to idiots yeah and he said in woke America, cancel culture not only is real, but it has begun to infect college campuses in the way colleges interpret and deal with humor. And one of his lines, it was a good line, was college used to be where kids went to lose their virginity. Now they go there to lose their sense of humor. (laughs) Yeah. Agree or disagree? There is some of that. um, And there's enough of it that I think it has a chilling effect on comedy. Uh, I know a lot of stand-ups who won't go to colleges. Really? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Uh, They just won't. And it's, you know, the comedians... And what what are they afraid of? Well, the comedians that I always, that I grew up admiring were Mm -hmm. uh, people like Lenny Bruce and Mm -hmm. George Carlin... Yep. And Dick Gregory, um, people who were uh, 
would use, would explore the edge of offending people. And uh, that was, people, I think, understood that then. And that that was, that was a positive thing. Uh, and it made people think about what, you know, it made people think in a different way. It, it was, it was satire. And, 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 and look, let's, <laughs> let, let's, let's not forget both Lenny Bruce, Dick Gregory and George Carlin in, encountered corporate backlash in some case, misdemeanor criminal backlash. But the most receptive people were the young audiences who were hungry to hear counterculture comedy. Bill Maher's point is that's less true now. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. And I think, again, it is, you know, all you need is a, a small percentage of, of people on campus to cause a stink or a ruckus. And... Uh, and so it doesn't we're not talking about necessarily 95 percent of students. Right. You know, and so it's just I think it's too bad. And uh, this was this was kind of the role of satire. Right. I'm one of, of one of the it's funny. One of the um, in high school, I remember uh, going on a first date with a girl I really liked and I took her to see Dick Gregory. And it was the wrong, the wrong choice. Yes. But um, uh, it, it, to me, there was always that value. And, you know, part of your job is to explore that area. And part of what you do, part of what Bill does, and a lot of great comedians do is, explore those areas and very often it sheds light on stuff that that you know that most politicians don't usually do (laughs) right i mean it's meant it's meant to be jarring it's sometimes right next to tragedy and those sort of things live in an uncomfortable space which is what satire is meant to be more of our conversation with al franken on the other side of the break i'm major garrett this is the takeout Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Al Franken is our guest. Um, Al, I've spent a lot of time on this show in the recent weeks, understandably, talking about Ukraine. We'll get back to lighter topics in a second, but you were in the United States Senate. You were a forceful voice on many issues. Every guest that I have on the show, ever since Russia invaded Ukraine, I bring up the topic. Sometimes we devote the entire show to that, but every guest... Even those not directly related, I bring the topic up. I want your thoughts on Ukraine. What do you think the stakes are for the U.S.? And if you think either President Biden is doing enough or the U.S. Congress is doing enough. You know, I, I, I think Biden is doing about as much as he can. I think he did an amazing job uh, putting this coalition together. Um, I think 
that he took some risks uh, in doing that. He released uh, some of our intelligence very early, earlier than you usually do, uh, saying that they're going to invade. And he did that early enough so that um, they were able to start putting sanctions together. It takes a while to put sanctions together. And uh, so by the time the the invasion started, they were they had a, a package of sanctions in place. Uh, it took a while to get everybody to agree to everything. And uh, this, it's evolved. But I think he's done. A, tr- a terrific job. Now he's had to make the judgment of taking Putin's nuclear, putting the a nuclear arsenal on high alert. He had to take that seriously. Is you know this is like the madman theory. Remember Nixon? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know Kissinger went to Ho Chi Minh and goes about it. Nixon's crazy. He might use nuclear weapons. You know and. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would Putin use nuclear weapons. I don't think so. But um, if there's a 2% chance, do you, can you do a no fly zone? And so he may be criticized for that, but uh, they've been ramping up and well, uh, it's my yeah. it's my theory, Al, that the biggest story of 2022, whatever happens in the midterms will not be the midterms, whether they go for all Republicans and we'll get to that in a second or not but will be whatever does or does not succeed from Russia's point of view or Ukraine's point of view in that particular battlefield. That will be the story of this year, and it will have implications for many, many years, if not decades to come. That's my theory. I think it's a pretty sound theory. It may actually affect the midterms, though. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, right now, it look it's looking bad, the midterms for Democrats. But uh, my argument to Democrats, especially, is that there's a lot of time to go before November. Uh, June In June, a couple of things are going to happen. One, we're going to have the hearings uh, on the January 6th Select Committee. Uh, Jamie Raskin just said it's going to blow the roof off the House. I think people, uh, Americans, uh, I, I have this uh, little secret, uh, they like television. And the hearings will be on television. <laughs> I've heard of that medium. I have some familiarity with yeah, it. Yeah, uh, and uh, I think there's going to be um, some pretty powerful stuff. And I, I, I do think that Americans, you know, the Republican Party has just become this anti-democratic party. And I, I, I think people will look at that and go like, hmm. And also in June, uh, the, the this term of the Supreme Court will end. And they're going to get they're going to end Roe v. Wade. And Mm -hmm. by two to one, Americans uh, favor Roe v. Wade, support Roe v. Wade. Uh, So I think and then as far as Ukraine, um, there's stuff there's stuff that happens that you don't know necessarily whether or not it's going to happen. But if developments there, I mean, Ukraine, Zelensky has been amazing. The Ukraine people have been amazing. The Ukrainians, uh, you could kind of see this coming since 2014. Uh, but my goodness, the, the it's it's so inspiring what they're doing. And it, 
Yeah, it's it's awful to watch. It is awful to watch. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I. I And you can tell in the country now people want to begin to turn away because they're not really sure what the trajectory of this is going to ultimately be. And they hear the president say there's not going to be ground forces. The country in general supports that. And they wonder, do I have to keep watching civilians get slaughtered? And there doesn't seem to be any other recourse. That's where it seems this narrative or this story is right now. That's where it is right now. And, you know, I mean, things can happen. Um, my, my hope is that one day we learn that Putin was garroted. <laughs> well, OK, then. No, I'm not going to do that. OK, I don't think they let me close to, you know, who could do it is Tucker. You're not going to change your tour dates to make room for that. No, I, I'm sure they wouldn't let me there. But Tucker Carlson could probably get invited to the Kremlin and garrot him. <laughs> and so I was listening to your podcast, by the way, uh, Al Franken has a very successful podcast. Uh, I believe the terminology, this is a SAT word, Al eponymous, the Al Franken podcast. That's right. Michael, Lu- Michael Lewis was on recently, the brilliant best-selling author, Michael Lewis. And you opened by saying how you wish you were in the Senate and how you wish you had been there. Because if I heard you correctly, you thought Democrats were insufficiently aggressive or pointed in dealing with some of the issues Republican senators raised with Ketanji Brown Jackson. Yeah, that's, that's what, would you, what would you have done had you been there? Well, I, I actually kind of would have challenged them on a number of fronts, um, one of which, I mean, Hawley, Josh Hawley, Josh Hawley, uh, you know, had been misleading to the point of demagoguery, according to the National Review. <laughs> and and what's weird about it is he was called out on that before the hearing started, but he didn't back off it. He just did the same thing. And it would have been nice, I think, if uh, someone on our side just just called him on. It. I mean, there are places where there's one in, in, in particular, this is very where in a, um, she was on the sentencing commission, right? And it was on, I, I think this is where it was. It was on, on people who had these images of child pornography. And she was getting testimony from somebody. And somebody said, well, people who have this aren't necessarily pedophiles. And she kind of, in her questioning to him, to that when it says, so, so people who have this in their possession aren't, ne- aren't necessarily pedophiles, question mark. But Holly made it like her statement. <laughs> and, and it was, it was even in articles about this before Holly started his statement. So it was pointed out that this is dishonest. And a mischaracterization, an intentional mischaracterization. Intentional mischaracterization. So um, I get 30 minutes. <laughs> you know, I'm on the, I, I go like, um, geez, Senator Hawley, uh, here, let me uh, read from these things. And you just did it again. And don't you, aren't, uh, you know, don't you feel shame? And, and Cruz was doing this thing like, do you really think they're racist babies? And and it was from a book called Anti-Racist Baby. 
And of course, that was deliberately misunderstanding what the whole book is about, which is that uh, at very early ages, you get signals from your parents and people around you. And yeah, a baby, according to the CDC, <laughs> is from birth to three. And yeah, there are, are little kids who pick up. And, and this is a lot of it is unconscious. And the whole point of anti-racism and that which is very legitimate is for people to go like, oh, yeah, I have racist attitudes and they're unconscious and I should be aware of them. And what I shouldn't do is pass them on to my kids. And boy, that's a legitimate thing. And no one would say to him, you know, the CDC said, are, you, are, are there three-year-old three-year-olds that have have internalized some racist signals? That is the voice of Al Franken. More of our conversation on segment three of the takeout in just one second. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Al Franken is our guest. Al Franken, you might have read us something about this. Twitter is now owned by Elon Musk. Are you afraid of that? Will you stay there? Do you have any progressive anxiety about that? I, I actually, as soon as that happened, I tweeted, you know who's great? At Elon Musk. <laughs> or I, and it was so funny because I had a lot of people going, really, Al? And then, uh, then I would have an answer to that person going, he's being sarcastic. And then, <laughs> and, you know, and I was just. Back to where we started, explaining jokes to a, the uh, humor impaired. And evidently, Elon Musk saw it and said, I don't know if he's being sarcastic or not. So at least he <laughs> knew that it was up in the air. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. I don't think it's probably a great thing, but, you know, uh, a lot of there'll be a lot of uh, people watching it. And uh, will you change your Twitter habits at all? No. <laughs> OK, no. And, and this gets sort of back Musk to our, our conversation time. about all. <laughs> all the whole time. This gets back to our conversation about the bandwidth for comedy, what satire does, pushing boundaries. Elon Musk says Twitter should be a place where free speech is protected. Now, there's a distinction I think a lot of Americans miss that if it's a private company, it's not covered by the First Amendment. It has no obligation under law to be a free speech police or provider. It is what it is. And you can participate or not as you choose it, as you interact with a private company. 
But when you hear Elon Musk say, I want this to be a vigorous free speech place, how do you interpret that? Well, this gets down to... Do you interpret that as a, as a, as a green flag to Trumpian uh, free speech? Uh, no, uh, I, I don't think so. I think, you know, there's Section 230, which was uh, mm-hmm. what the uh, Internet Decency Act or something from... Communications, uh, Communications Decency, Decency Act. Act. Yep. Uh, and basically said that they're platforms and uh, not publishers, Right. So that social media platforms uh, can't be held. A hugely important legal distinction. Hugely. And and you this is right at the dawn of all this stuff. And you can understand Mm -hmm. why they did that. It was to to protect, uh, you know, to to let uh, people say stuff and and not be censored and and to protect them as the platforms. I think we've learned a lot since then, <laughs> and and uh, we have a problem with uh, disinformation. I wrote this book, uh, Rush Limbaugh is a Big Fat Idiot and Other Observations, uh, back in uh, 1995, and then I wrote uh, Lies and Lying Liars Who Tell Them a Fair and Balanced Look at the Right about Fox, and uh, that was in uh, 2003, and these were about uh, that the that the right wing was putting out a lot of disinformation and that that was dangerous. Now, I don't know what's happened with that, Uh, but it, I, I, you know, Facebook, they have these algorithms, right? Uh, Everyone everyone has has algorithms, algorithms, but Facebook's whole thing is to keep you on. Right. And it's, it's algorithms are a form of AI and mm-hmm. they know every choice you've ever made. And so they know you better than you know you. And so they know what will keep you on. And a lot of people yep. being agitated keeps them on. So they send them stuff right. that agitates them. So when they say we have no control over what they get, they have total control over what you get. And so, right. and one of the things that Elon Musk has said is that he, now that he owns Twitter, is going to transparently disclose Twitter's algorithms. That might be helpful. Yeah, I guess I I don't know how you disclose algorithms. I guess someone understands algorithms can crunch algorithms. Uh, I, I don't right, think exactly. I'll be doing that work. But um, but this this leads me to another. But the question, thing is Al, that people just, you mentioned that you, you you can't have, you can't yell fire in a in a crowded movie. No, theater. understood. And I'm glad you mentioned the two books you mentioned with both incendiary titles, borderline insulting to the audience that is receptive to what you're criticizing. And I wonder if you think that there is any obligation in public discourse, in particular for someone in public office, to persuade or are we in a harangue culture? Meaning, if you call someone a liar and someone who likes that person you're calling a liar, you're by implication calling them a dupe or a fool or a knave, does that create any space for persuasion? And do you think that we have lost our ability to study the art of persuasion? Well, um, both of those titles were satirical. And uh, were... But you also meant them. Yeah, uh, you can mean satire. Of course. (laughs) Uh, uh, But anyway, so, but... 
they were uh, and and I know that people have come up to me on both those books and others I've done and said that it changed it it, it made a difference in how they saw things, and mm-hmm. um, that was that that's the point of satire, and right. uh, to me both those books are really funny, and yeah yeah and they enjoyable are. and and just fun to read, and that's what i you know it was uh it's like candy you know it was just like fun to read and but on the other hand very persuasive and i uh, i i know that a lot of people come up to me and said i got into politics because of that book i got into politics of this book mm-hmm. and okay. i think i was okay. identifying something that's really important and um i i, I like to think i'm a skillful writer <laughs> <laughs> no doubt and no that doubt. i was very persuasive and that it was a positive now when i was senator did i uh, call my colleagues idiots uh no mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh except maybe ted cruz no, i don't he's know not an idiot. Um, he's very but, smart no He's very, very smart. He and, and he knows and he knows so much better than he I do. Uh, presents. In my show, uh, I have a whole Ted Cruz section. You know, I've mm-hmm. said that I probably liked Ted Cruz more than most of my colleagues like Ted Cruz, and I hate Ted Cruz. <laughs> yes, yes. And this goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago when you were talking about Senator Josh Hawley, who was criticized before the hearings. Didn't take that criticism on board, but repeated it. And that 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 seems symptomatic to me of the validity and the political throw weight of demagoguery that are in our current politics. There is an incentive structure, even when criticized, even when criticized by your own side to stick with it, because Josh Hawley also is not stupid. No. Josh Hawley knows what he's doing and knows why he's doing it. And the incentive structure doesn't seem to me to discourage demagoguery, perhaps in the way I romanticize it did when I first started covering Congress in the early 90s. I agree with every every word you, you say. You know, and what is is that something that needs to be remedied or should be remedied? Or is it just a reality that we are stuck with? Well, uh, you know, I don't know. I try uh this is some of the stuff i point out in in my my show and on my podcast i i still uh use humor and obviously uh in the tour it's it's i'm doing stand-up comedy by the way and it's it's Mm -hmm. it's all it's funny there's there's a satirical aspect to it that's that's what i do and uh, i do it on uh, and on the podcast as well um but I, I, I don't know. It's we're in a terrible state. We really are. I mean, what you saw during that hearing, I, I thought was atrocious. And I thought it was atrocious on, you know, some uh, Lindsay was a friend of mine when I was there. I, I don't quite understand where he's gone. Uh, Cruz is Cruz. Holly is. Uh, you know, his own version of awful and uh, and cotton is terrible. And then there was Blackburn, who that was a different vector of 
Right. And and in general, you wish Democrats had been a little bit more aggressive. Back for segment four of The Takeout with Al Frank and our special guest, I'm Major Garrett. Just one minute. We'll be back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Al Franken is our guest. Al, do you think President Biden will run for re-election and do you think he ought to? Um... I think if he's uh, I think if he's feeling good, I, you know, th- this whole thing about, uh, uh, you know, I I noticed that his his walk is a little stiff. And I asked about this uh, to a doctor and they said, yeah, when you get that age, your ligaments <laughs> are, are as flexible. And I went like, OK, that's no reason not to be president, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not a yeah. disqualifier i mean fdr was pretty good president yeah uh, and yes. he, uh he basically couldn't walk at all and so mm-hmm. i uh i i think it's just up to him and uh you know we'll see how he feels about it in in two years he says he is and um mm-hmm. also you know, it it just look at where Reagan was this at this point in his presidency. Uh, he was really underwater. And so yep. it, many a slip twixt cup and lip, as we say. Mm-hmm. And back to our earlier reference you made to how you think June could be a very important and possibly pivotal month in terms of the midterms. Is that your essential message to Democrats? You don't need to worry or you should worry and prepare. (laughs) Wait, just wait for June. Or do you think there should be things Democrats should be doing now? And if so, what? I I think we should be working as hard as we can to get our message out. Part of the the message is that an election is um, not a referendum, but a choice. And look what the choice is. The choice is the Republicans. Look at Rick Scott's 11 point plan. He wants to raise taxes on who? The lowest 50 percent of income earners in the country. He wants. He says everybody should pay income taxes. Well, there are a lot of people have some skin in the game. He would say that's what he said. Well, you're talking about. People, there, people don't pay income taxes, and it's by design, <laughs> which is we've raised the standard deduction so that a lot of working Americans don't pay any income taxes. So actually, one of the things in the Trump tax cut, one of the good things was they raised the standard deduction. So he wants yep. to raise taxes not on billionaires. I mean, he's also the richest guy in the Senate. <laughs> he has, he's worth over $200 million. Raise taxes on him? No. 
Now, Americans, and this includes Republicans, want to raise taxes on, on, on the wealthy. They do. And, and I think the Republican Party has become much more anti-elite, uh, anti-Wall Street, anti-corporate. Uh, I, 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 a large majority of Americans want to see increases in taxes and uh, for, for those at the top. But he is the chairman of the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee, and he yeah. wants to raise taxes on the lowest income earners in America. So I think we should point so that this, out. This, and I think that would be a good thing mm -hmm. to point out politically. Uh, Democrats have every uh, opportunity to do so. This brings us to a larger question I want to raise for you, because as you talk about that economic plan for Senator Scott, which Mitch McConnell doesn't agree with, but it's still out there. It's still a very important part of the He's conversation. He's the chairman of their Senate. I, I, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, it seems to me one of the strains in American politics, and there are many right now, is on the left you have economic populism. On the right you have mm. cultural populism. Cultural populism manifests in state legislatures across the country with various abortion laws, LGBTQ laws, things about critical race theory. And populism isn't an ideology so much as a kind of approach that is, I know better or I know what's best for you. And on the left, it's economic populism. On the right, it seems to me cultural populism. Agree or disagree? I, I think there is a lot of that. I'm, I'm wondering if there isn't going to be a backlash to that. Because I, I. To the cultural populism? Well, to this thing like book banning and book burning, like. I mean, I, I, for example, remember they were going to burn Beloved? <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a Toni Morrison uh, Pulitzer mm -hmm. Prize winning book from a Nobel Prize winning author, was taught in AP English <laughs> to uh, seniors in Virginia High School. And uh, it was about... Uh, these women who had been slaves and they uh, post-slavery, but uh, post-Civil War, but they flashbacked to all this trauma, including being raped. And and mm -hmm. so uh, they're going like, there's violent sex in this. This is pornography. And so they, uh, well, that, you know, that kind of happened during slavery. But so the school board wanted to do a book burning and I saw I don't know if you saw this. They had a uh, they had like a town meeting on this at the at the with the book board, uh, the school board. And a guy got up and said, like, my son gets plenty of pornography at home on his iPad. School is supposed to be a break in the pornography. I missed that. I'm glad. <laughs> I didn't know you were such an avid viewer of school school board meetings. Uh, uh, I got sent the clip. <laughs> but I mean, I think that, you know, in this idea of like, OK, like in, in Florida. But the point is, you you believe that there will be a a, a political. I think there'll be a backlash to, to this. cultural like, population. Being able to sue a teacher 
for making Terry McAuliffe will tell you it didn't happen in time in Virginia's governor's. No, race. well, he blew it by saying parents shouldn't have any say over what the kids. That's was that was dumb. Uh, but Youngkin was lying. That's another thing. You shouldn't li- shouldn't be able to lie, and you should call him out on it. We- Critical race theory is not taught in uh, Virginia public schools. So when you say on day one, when I'm governor, teaching critical race theory in Virginia public schools stops, it's not taught, and you can't lie. Just say that. You 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 were head of what what was the what was he head of uh, some big huge car carlisle or what what's the uh, yeah 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 they do research there they know how to research things they don't teach critical race theory they teach critical race theory in graduate school and law school that's where it's taught it's not taught you know to kindergartners it it, it and you know the i he might that's that is the voice of al franken he might have been terry mccullough's campaign manager but sadly for terry mccullough he wasn't uh, that concludes our version of this program. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell. For our CBS News streaming audience and those on our beloved podcast platform, stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake of Special. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett coming to you from our home office. That's meaning my office in the CBS Bureau, Washington, D.C. Al Franken is joining us, continuing our conversation. He's up in New York City. So, Al, on this tour, the only former U.S. senator currently on tour tour, how long did you take to prepare, and is this all new stuff? Well, that's a really, uh, those are good questions. Um, I, uh, before the pandemic, I was going around and giving what I would call speeches. And 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 I speeches, there were speeches because I had a podium. But a lot of it was was funny. I mean, a lot of it. I'm a a comedian. And so and gradually, as I was doing the speeches, it became more stand up. But I still behind a podium and I still had notes. And I said, that's not stand up. That's a speech. Okay, right. The speech with funny. So then uh, then, of course, that stopped like that uh, with the pandemic. And then as we were uh, started to come out of the pandemic where where we had the vaccine, I said, OK, mm-hmm. uh, I uh, I want to do stand up. I want to actually I want to I love stand up comedians. I admire stand up. So I started going down to the comedy cellar uh, in Greenwich Village, which is one of the great comedy clubs yep Yep. and i would do like three nights a week uh do like 25 minutes a half hour something like that and um start working up an act and uh, Mm -hmm. eventually i felt confident enough that i could go out and do it as just do an hour plus of stand-up 
And so right. that's what I did. And, and um, that's how I, I developed it. And it was interesting because the, the seller, uh, the comedy seller, great, great club. It's uh, a younger crowd. And, and the crowd that comes mm-hmm. see me is a little older and also a little right. bit more political than pe- people right. coming to the comedy seller uh, are coming there to see stand-up comedy and they're not yep. coming to see political stand-up comedy. They're not, you know, as some of them are sophisticated politically, some are not at all. So uh, I had to figure out, I started doing some venues that had a little bit more politically hip uh, audiences. And then I started, I just started doing it and mm-hmm. it's, it's been great. I love it. Do you write any jokes about Democrats? Oh yeah. Yeah. I have some, <laughs> I, I do I spent a lot of time on my uh, experience in the Senate and there are some, some right. Democrats I, I, I do talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. And as you, as you go around, uh, some comedians do notebooking and journaling while they're on tour and they add things as they go. Is your set pretty much established and you keep it that way and work on it later on the other side of the tour? Or do you evolve it as you go through the tour? Well, you kind of, I mean, a lot of what I do is topical. Um, right. So it's driven a little bit by the news. Yeah. I mean, for example, we're at war or uh, there's a war in Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's it's hard to find the funny in that. But um, I found it. And it's Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, it's just that Tucker, you know, like I think it was like the day before the invasion went on his show and said, you know, Democrats tell us we should hate Putin, but why? I mean, as has Putin ever called me a racist has, has uh, Putin, uh, you know, shipped our middle-class jobs to Russia. Uh, Has, has Putin tried to cancel Christianity and I thought to myself, you know, he's right. Putin hasn't done any of that. And yet I hate Tucker so much. And I was thinking, why do I hate Tucker? I mean, has Tucker ever, you know, poisoned political enemies with a deadly nerve agent? No. Mm-hmm. Has he indiscriminately bombed civilians with cluster bombs? at maternity hospitals and children's hospitals. No, Tucker hasn't done that. Has he committed atrocities and killed hundreds of children? No, Tucker hasn't done any of that. And yet I hate Tucker so much. There must be something wrong with me. Mm. And then I just, (laughs) it just drives me frigging crazy. This apologies for Putin. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, so it's a little dark, but um, that's okay. It gets there. It gets there. Let me ask you, is any part of your tour, again, the only former U.S. senator currently on tour tour, a prelude to another run for office? Uh, no, it, I wouldn't. It doesn't mean I won't ever run for office again, but the tour isn't a prelude. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
Are are you are you? And I know and I know all I know all the I know all the off ramps here because uh, I've engaged in these off ramps for most of my life as a political journalist, so I know what they are. But are you actively considering running again? Do you want to do you want to get back in public life? Uh, well, I consider myself in public life uh, with the podcast and with with what I'm doing. But yeah, I really do miss the Senate. Uh, you know, as we were talking about, I was very frustrated during the, uh, during the, the hearings. I always, I really enjoyed, uh, especially judiciary hearings, um, but all of them, you know, I, and I thought I was a pretty good questioner. I, I talk about the same. I was on judiciary, obviously. I, I was not a lawyer. Jeff Sessions will never forget your questions. I can tell you that. Yeah, it's odd that Jeff kind of stepped in it himself. I mean, I didn't ask him, did you meet with any Russians? I just said, <laughs> would you recuse yourself if, you know, on any Russian investigation? And then he said, I didn't meet with them. And I went, okay. Uh, so I, I, you know. And then things unfolded rather dramatically. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Al, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, Again, the tour, the only former U.S. senator currently on tour. Tour, check it out on the website. What is it, Al? Uh, the website is alfranken.com. Alfranken.com. Easy to remember, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Major Garrett. This has been The Takeout. Al, thanks so much for hanging out with Thank us. Thank you, Mer uh, Major. Merit. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> can we try that again? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're keeping it. Merrick we're keeping Garland. it. We're keeping it. Uh, it's a pleasure talking to you, Mr. Attorney General. Yes. Uh, trust me, Al, I've been called worse. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.
I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.